you get off on the weird? Monsters, Halloween, horror. You've heard of word porn, car porn, earth porn. Now prepare yourself for monster porn. Is this really a good idea? Weird fiction and horror podcast. Created by the Backwards Hat Guy, Matt Cummins. Are you trying to teach psychic powers to animals? Puggles, the abomination trapped in the body of an adorable teacup piggy. Good human. And myself, lead occultist, Brett Norwood. Today's story is Pastorus Midnight Mass by Brett Norwood. Merry Christmas, Monsterbaiters. I hope everyone out there has a happy holiday and gets to spend their time with loved ones for whichever holiday you are celebrating this time of year. Uh, it's been a really good year for us. Thank you for continuing to support the show, and it really means a lot. And if you're listening to this in July or whatever, Merry Fourthmas. And do tell us, future dweller, does humanity survive? Thanks for all the new reviews on Apple Podcast. We've had some really good ones come in over the last week. Truly, Apple Podcast reviews are the best Christmas gift you could give us. If you're not going to give us that pony I asked for. I think I'll double down on the review. Uh, Jenny Jenkins, or Jenny Jenkins, 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 damn it, we talked about this. Jenny Jenkins from Canada says, the best podcast ever, original, and has no morals. My fave. <laughs> original and has no morals. I think we've got our new tagline. Just wait till you see what we're about to do to Father Christmas. No kidding. Uh, thanks, Jenny Jenkins, for the review. Uh, with that, we've got a little Christmas spirit for you, and then it'll be on to our feature presentation, Pastorus Midnight Mass. Thanks, and enjoy the show. I hear those sleigh bells ringling, jing, jing, jingling, do. I don't see anything, Puggy Poo. Shh, don't, don't let that douche with the backwards hat hear us. And just tell me one of those cooking. Oh, shit, never mind. Outside the snow is falling and friends are eight-balling yoo-hoos. It's been two thousand years since the taint of Narcorsis embarrassed me. I won't let Matt ruin my plan for sweet retribution. Who's tainted what? It's lovely weather for a sleigh ride forever, poo-poo. Shouldn't we tell Maddie Matt to be quiet? No, be cool, Patrick. Ice is falling in, play bars are falling... Boo-boos. God, I really need to listen to that song again. <laughs> Milk and cookies are out. Don't mind if I do. Just a few more presents to go, and the Yuletide lie will have survived for another year. Oh, Puggy Pooples, I, I think I see something. What? What? Oh, what was that? Just let me uh, kind of slide you over there. Slide? What do you mean? Oh, uh, well, don't worry about it. Oh, shit. There he is. He's flying in with his weird Gorthogs. Oh, what's a, what's a Gorthog? Sounds fun. Is that like a Sasquatch? Because there was one time when I was in Bend, Oregon. They're, uh, they're flying undulates from a alternate dimension. The tank of Narcorsis opened a wormhole by ripping open a whole planet, ripping it in two, so that he could bring a few of them over and hook them up to a chunk of wood to haul his fat ass around. What the hell was that sound? Shh! I, I think he heard us. No, 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 no. Oh, he'll fuck out there. He'll fuck this all up. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's nearly midnight on Christmas Eve. There's no way. Oh, God. Psst. Matt, you up? Brett, what are you doing? I'm coming to celebrate the spreading of the taint. What? You haven't heard of the taint of Nick? Have you ever had a Christmas before? Dude, my girls are sleeping 20 feet from here. I want absolutely nothing to do with Nick's taint. Oh, oh, he's landed on the roof. Eek! It's something like seeing Bigfoot all over again. Oh, the things you never think that you're going to get a second chance at. Oh, worry not, Matt. This won't take long. What are you doing? Why, Matt, I already told you. I'm spreading the taint. What are you burning? A solstice herb for which there is no word. The human tongue can produce. Except these words I just used. It thins the veil. We'll be able to see the Yule Demon. 
Oh, no, 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 no! No! Ah! Ah, Matt, the swine is loose. Get the squirt bottle. Bad pig! Bad pig! Hey, give that back. Puggles, where did you come from? Hey, Bertie Bert. What's going on in here? Hey, leave Puggles alone! Oh, God, be quiet. You're gonna wake up my... Oh, Jesus! Here he comes! Oh, it's ruined! What the Christ is happening to my wood stove? What is the pipe on that thing? Like, eight inches wide? Is there a damn squirrel coming down my... Oh, my God! Oh, ho, ho, ho! He even stole my line, the fat red bastard. Santa? You're the taint of Nicorsis? You're... Santa. Oh, uh... Merry Christmas! Oh, it's Santa, Puggy-Poo! Oh, what's the matter, Tink Nick? Gorthok got your tongue. Oh, ho, 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 oh, ho, ho, fuck. Fittingly, perhaps, it spat snowflakes while St. Nick fled the alien assassin through the pine trees. What do you want? Hector shouted back at his pursuer. For Christmas, his mind automatically completed the conditioned line inwardly. It was the tree lot in the Walmart outdoor department. It was just past midnight when Hector got off his shift of ringing the bell by the toy drive bin. He was still decked out in full Father Christmas mode, red felt coat with white trim, pillow sun in the belly, though he needed it less and less as each Christmas went by. The elastic strap beard. The whole merry shebang. Red and green Christmas lights flashed alternating colors across the concrete. A white artificial tree glowed with the sharp blue-white light of LED icicle bulbs. Suddenly, the young woman stepped out in front of him, from behind the frost tree. She was dressed like a goddamned priest. His eyes had not been seeing things. She had a pistol. He wished his eyes had been seeing things. But he hadn't been drinking enough for that. He wished he had. What do you want? He screamed. He couldn't believe he was about to get capped by a teenage emo girl dressed like a priest outside of a Walmart. And nobody was hearing him shout bloody murder. I have not a want, she said coolly. That is for organisms having emotional response. I... but have a mission. Or Organic... organisms having... Motherfuck! St. Hector swore, casting spittle into his beard. Does this, does this have to do with... He could hardly put words to it. The one thing in his life that had been even weirder, perhaps, than this present moment. That time he saw a fucking UFO. Uh, are you the men in black? He yelled. Men or women, it's whatever, he tagged on, backing away from his assailant. She stepped toward him, cool as murder, firearm leveled. I swear I'll never talk about the UFO, that's what you want, right? Not want, uh, per se, but... She had him. This was the point where she would normally pull the trigger. Put two in the heart and one in the head. The established best practice for terminating these human organisms. Collect a brass and fade into the night. She shook the barrel of the gun at him as if she was trying to fling the chambered bullet at him, using centrifugal force alone. Then she swore and lowered the gun. St. Hector exhaled loudly. You are glowing, she said, eyes breaking away from him. He looked at himself, and the light from the decorations fell across his belly and beard. So uh, I'm free? He wondered. You are glowing, she repeated, sneering. It mean that you die, if not today, another... What? He blubbered. And by your own hand, if not mine, and if not mine, then you may spread the disease of you to others, while you yet do live, and your mind becomes the mind of him. What? Of who? He stuttered. With nothing more, she slipped around the ice-white Christmas tree and vanished into the night. 
Santa's eyes were wide, and he stood in shock for a full minute, before falling onto his knees on the concrete and crying in the manic, many-colored light. They say that the pastoress comes by night, and if you see the pastoress in the night, despair, for you have wandered far, far beyond salvation's reach. The creaking and pinging radiators made Naomi's old apartment cozy, but didn't make things comfortable. The pastoress stood by the bookcase, idly playing with her fingers on the spines of the books, seemingly enraptured by them. Naomi had her arms crossed, sulking down in her reading chair beneath the lamp. It was late. What do you want? Naomi said, glowering with her eyes on the floor. I must need kill them, the pastoress said, which in a sick way almost made Naomi want to laugh. It was like pure cosmic satire to see this likeness of a teenager whine about her inability to commit homicide. When Naomi offered no acknowledgement, she went on. Behold, so long as I await my hand, so long does the wide vine of Ota Asanash spread the farther on the planet of you. There is no allowance for to tarry yet. The pastors fell silent a while. I must needs kill them, Naomi. But there is now the thought that also you, you and the others who like you are impacted, might be saved from the impacting without the killing of them, and I must, I must know that this, this is my tribulation, Naomi. You're a saint, Naomi muttered. The pastorist stopped admiring the spines and looked over Naomi. I see that you have a responsive emotion, the pastorist said. Forgive me, for I know not well the reading of these things yet. Naomi sighed and said, I don't want anything to do with this shit. If you didn't come to just kill me and get it over with, I wish you'd just leave me alone. This is most surprising the pastorist said. The emotions of you make the human response so mispredictable. Now, you do wish for me to kill you, to kill you and the others like you? I wish to be left alone, Naomi said. She stared across the room a moment, and then raised her voice. You just do what you came to Earth to do and leave me out of it! She calmed her voice and went on. Being that you hardly have feelings, if at all, you have no idea what it was like to see, to see Hunter, after, after what you got us into. Ah, uh, yes, that was name of him, wasn't it? The pastorist said. Naomi glared at her momentarily, heated that this creature couldn't even be bothered to remember the name of the guy she almost got killed. Hunter had been maimed and burned in their last encounter with the pastorist and her enemies the servants of Ota Asanash. He was hospitalized for the better part of a month, covered in serious burns and down a whole forearm. Naomi had forced herself to go see him, frequently at first, mostly because she felt like this had been her fault in some irrational way. But how he treated her, vacillating between slavishly crushing on her on the one extreme and then belittling her and giving her a cold, snobbish attitude on the other, had driven her to see him less and less until she stopped seeing him entirely. And this, unfortunately, made her feel even guiltier about what happened in the state he was in. There are some emotions I do have, the pastoress assured her. Her eyes snapped to Naomi's. There are some things I do want. I want to destroy Ota Asanash. Then do it. Naomi said, breaking eye contact. There was silence for a moment. I need you, the pastor said. What? Naomi uttered, glancing at her again, aghast. Well, no, I do not strictly to speak need you, the pastor said. I use you, but I comprehend that the people of you say that you need each other as a show of social bond. 
Naomi groaned and pressed her face into her hands. Behold, Naomi, the pastoress said. You come together with me to find if there is the way to save those impacted, like you. I can use a good local life form to work with, and this way I keep eye on you as to whether you become the worse. I have no desire to either be your guinea pig or your sidekick, Naomi muttered. I know not this saying of you, what the guinea pig mean, the pastoress said. However, behold, stop saying behold, Naomi spat. You're an assassin, not a saint. <laughs> the pastoress toned. I am sorry. I learned the tongue of you in great part from the Bible of the people of you. If that is not right, just go, Naomi interrupted. I do not comprehend, the pastoress said. Damn it, if you're here to fucking kill people, just... Go kill people, I don't care, just go. The pastoress wandered slowly down the dark sidewalk as it spat snow, and cars sloshed through the brown sludge that filled the perpendicular street. If the likeness of a girl had been enervated like a human being, the frigid still air might have stung her nose. She took her time progressing down the side street from Naomi's apartment. She wondered logically, what was the point of trying to save a being that didn't want to be saved? This was why there was a protocol for impactings. Give the victim what she wants, to perish, but before she risks taking the Odysar vow, which the more mentally resilient might take, the vow to stay alive, though loathing life, long enough to shepherd as many others as possible into oblivion's embrace before passing. Naomi, unattended, would likely in the end, after many psychic tribulations, take the Odysar vow and become a night priest. She knew this because Naomi had already become more physically resistant to harm than your average human animal. Oda Asenash's gift to his vicars. She should kill Naomi now. That was the protocol, and for reasons the pastoress understood well. Yet now there was this complication, that she had witnessed a greatly impacted man repent from Oda Asenash's influence. She knew it was possible. But now it was not only Naomi. Others were stacking up. A backlog of hits, and she feared the only thing more difficult than catching up on killing them all would turn out to be saving each individually. The pastoress raised her head and faced the southwest, seeming to see something beyond sight. A car's lights fell on her and then passed. Now there was yet another glowing, and strongly. She would need to investigate. The sudden apparition could suggest a night priest having just come to earth. But if it was only another human being infected, she would have yet another to try not to kill to manage and try, perhaps in vain, to save. She cursed herself for being irrational and began to search the street and cross alleys for a vehicle to borrow. She came in through the chimney. First she tossed down her pistol wrapped within her clothes, and then she followed, allowing her provisional form to dissolve back to the amorphous gelatin of its construction which she could reform once entered. The house was dark save for a single light from the back rooms, where also her quarry glowed. A Christmas tree stood dark in the corner. She endeavored to clean the suit from her person and from her articles, before dressing in silence, checking her gun, and progressing into the house. A woman sat over a young man in his bed. She looked up from a magazine as the pastoress stepped into the doorway. The pastoress hit her gun behind her back as the woman opened her mouth as if to scream, half rising from her chair, but then stopped herself. Who are you? How did you get in here? She demanded quickly. I came to see... him, she said, nodding at the man in bed, who had not stirred. The woman studied the pastoress, mouth trying to articulate a question not yet decided. The pastoress tucked her firearm into her waistband and stepped into the bedroom. 
I said, who are you? The woman reiterated. Why are you dressed like that? I love the God, the pastoress answered simply. But she was studying the man, drawing up to his bedside. This is unusual. Tell me the how of this happening. The woman's mouth still hung open. She closed it, and then opened it again in futility. Who are you? she demanded again at last. I have no name in the tongue of you, the pastoress said, not looking at her. I am here to judge whether he may be saved. Red tendrils extended from the pastoress's fingertips and touched the sleeping man's eyes, which began to dart under the eyelids. The woman rested her hand on her chest and gasped, but failed to do anything. Interesting, the pastress muttered. What are you doing? the woman demanded. Tell me the how of this happening, the pastress repeated. The how of this sickness. It started three days ago, she began. She told how the local diocese had hosted an exhibition of indigenous art, which had offended a large number of the parishioners because, even with the approval of a cardinal behind it, the bottom line of the event was something almost unthinkable in the view of the faithful. Effectively, pagan idols had been installed for display on the parish grounds, and though they were not brought within the sanctuary, they were intended to be admired if not adored in their glass cases in the parish hall. The PR had made the exhibition out as a display of cosmopolitanism and solidarity with indigenous peoples around the world, and stressed that the figurines, they fastidiously avoided using cultic terms in describing the artworks, were not endorsed as devotional objects, obviously, but they were displayed as works of art and anthropology for educational purposes. However, the fact could not be denied that the images represented the ancestor spirits of the Amazonian tribe that manufactured them, spirits that had been objects of worship within the traditional cult. In other words, arguably, gods. So one night, a number of young men from the neighborhood, led by this woman's son, snuck into the parish hall and stole the idols from their display cases. Then they took them to the river overpass and cast them into the water. The men had been masked, but they filmed this purge and posted the video anonymously online. They sought no acclaim for this, having been masked and anonymous, but they did see the theft as more than justified by duty to their faith, and they anticipated the praise of fellow true Catholics. However, the next day the initial chatter created by the video was quickly rebuked by a press release from the church. There had been no theft. The artifacts remained in their place, and, indeed, anyone who investigated the matter quickly found the artifacts in the public display in the parish hall. The son went to see with his own eyes, and, indeed, they were the same objects he had taken, or else perfect facsimiles. Afterwards, beginning the next evening, he fell desperately ill, vomiting, fever, delirium. He had recovered from the worst of it, but had not been the same since, so his mother swore. He was a different person. He was verbally abusive and borderline autistic, descending into listless funks of apparent intense concentration and otherwise sleeping much of the time. She had spoken to the church about seeing a priest. They said he should see a doctor. I will need to see the object that has impacted him, the pastoress told her. It's, it's back at the parish, like I said. It's just there in the hall. Hmm, she toned. Can, uh, can you help him? I will try, the pastoress answered. Did God send you? She wondered, hushed. No, the pastoress answered. The core array of organic perfection sent me, but I am a fan of him, the god, and his enemies are my enemies. The lights were on in the church, and cars were arriving, 
The pastors had not anticipated any activity this late at night. Across the street, she skulked in the shadows near the parish hall. She found the front double door locked. The interior was black. As she peered into the side window, snowflakes tumbled through the beam of the streetlight and stuck in her eyebrows and hair. The old windows were single-pane and wood-framed, counterbalanced with window weights in the wall. This particular window was not latched, and she lifted it easily. The parish hall smelled of fresh lemon cleaner. It was black save for the nightlight plugged into an outlet near the counter of a kitchenette and a microwave display in the kitchenette. She had entered a dining hall laid out with folding tables. She went out the entrance into the front area, where she found the display of icons, three of them in a row on monolithic rectangular pedestals and under glass. They were in front of another display case that instead was filled with paraphernalia from the church community. Her eyes were better in the dark than a human being, though imperfect. In the first case, she made out a slender wooden humanoid, skinny, almost skeletal but hunched, with an elongated fish-like head, having big lips, very little nose, huge almond eyes, and a long crown with a fin on top like a mohawk. The one in the middle of the three proved to be similar but larger than the other two. Its face seemed fiercer. There was a cardstock placard with it under the glass. It read, El Rey Medusa. The pastors placed her fingers on the glass and began to lift it. She heard a key in the door and fled toward the kitchenette. Crouching below the cupboards, she could hear the door open and slow, heavy footsteps come across the creaking hardwood floor. A light came on in front. She could hear him breathing, a large man, in poor health, one would assume. From the sound of it, he meandered back and forth by the display. The voice cut through the silence with disconcerting confidence. I know you're here. The pastorist didn't reply, but waited. <clears throat> the man chuffed after a moment. The light flicked on in the dining hall. An obtuse, broad beam of light cut into the kitchenette through the buffet bar. Stiff, dragging footsteps progressed into the hall. The breathing remained labored, wheezing. The pastoress clutched her pistol to her breast, head turned to the door at her shoulder. You've heard what we did to the last one they sent, he announced. <clears throat> okay. The footsteps stopped at the other side of the buffet counter. He wheezed. The pastor stood and, spinning in place, took the fat priest by the collar in her fist and placed the silencer against his chin. You are not impacted, she growled. Do you serve Asnash? The two cassocked figures faced each other over the counter, the saggy-chinned, liver-spotted sack of sour-smelling flesh, and this likeness of a girl. His momentary shock mutated swiftly to amusement, whether this apparent fearlessness was genuine or merely affected. He laughed. What is this? He wondered. Does the serpent's hand send the little girl priests now? Is this a joke? Serpent's hand, the pastors echoed. Do you serve Asnash? Answer this now. He laughed again, as she redoubled her grip and pressed the silencer into his sallow flesh. He coughed, and a little spittle glimmered under the tungsten light. I don't know who that is, he said calmly. His bloodshot eyes were unafraid to meet the pastoresses. Tell me, little girl. Who do you serve? He laughed and then said, Don't tell me you're just a humble vicar of Christ in that blasphemous get-up. The pastor's her teeth. This human was utterly disgusting and she disdained to keep a hold of him. So many humans were vile, and this, perhaps, was one of the worst. A sack of disease and neglect. But then, that's what this world was known for. The objects impact those who touch them, the pastoress said. Tell me the purpose of them. He smiled. I'm just a humble servant, 
he said smugly and shrugged. She shoved him, letting him go, and he took a heavy step backward to catch his weight. He wheezed again. His face was red, not with rage, but seemingly just with the continued stress of keeping this shameful body upright and functioning. He fixed his narrow eyes on her, as more spittle flew from his lip with a particularly raspy exhalation. But, <clears throat> who are you? He demanded, wiping his chin with the back of his hand. A silverware bin sat on the counter. From this, while the pastorist made no rush to answer, he took up a spoon in his pudgy fingers, taking his time while the pastorist watched. He held the spoon up in between them, so apparently unconcerned to be held at gunpoint that it almost offended her. Do you believe in the innate power of the human soul? He asked. The head of the spoon began to flop around like a dying fish, as if the handle of the spoon were a neck made of warm taffy. Do you know that the Father of Shadows unfastens the power for whomever believes in his only begotten Son? I know that this is the why the human race is contained upon this prison planet, the pastoress answered. Lest disgusting organisms like yourself defile the rest of the planets. And what terrible place you must have left to choose to come to our prison to play with us. The spoon froze with the pastoress's face reflected back to her in it. The priest smirked. When she resolved to shoot, she found that, while her attention had been wrapped, the barrel of her pistol had been bent. Damn it, she cursed. He punched her in the face. It was a weak hit, but she was not prepared for it. Now he caught her by the collar and sneered. As he opened his mouth, shadow began to pour out of it, and then also from the corners of his eyes, like sullied motor oil. She grabbed his throat in both hands and squeezed. Tendrils of tarry oil extended through the air toward her face. Let us find out what you are, girl, he said, the voice no longer coming from his mouth. Let us taste what you are. She shoved the curved barrel of the pistol into his mouth and pulled the trigger. The barrel exploded as he fell back, reaching for his throat, smoke pouring out of his grimace amid blood and tar. The pastoress ran around him for the front door. The wounded priest stumbled out onto the steps after her, but she had already vanished into the night. It was not Oda Asnesh. Not directly, anyway. She had known immediately that the impacted man was different. And now this, this human, had not even known the name of Oda Asnesh, and was not detectably impacted, let alone a night priest. This was something else coming to pass. A domestic affair, as the regulations described it. A matter of terrestrial humans and their own corruption. And thus, according to the precepts of the perfect dawn, it was not a matter for the pastoress. Yet here she was. From the alley by the church, in the spitting snow, she watched men and women and whole families arriving and entering the church. Now she was unarmed. She sensed she was not alone and turned. There was a man down the alley, standing beside the dumpster. He had been still, but shifted now as the pastoress's glance struck him. It was not the obese priest, but a younger, trimmer man. She could not see his face, but a puff of steam rose as he breathed. His hands rested in his jacket pockets. The pastorist turned away quickly and ran briskly out onto the street. She crossed the street, which reflected the street lamps and headlights. Head down, she hurried toward the church, hoping to be inconspicuous if she kept her eyes to herself and looked like she knew what she was doing. She reasoned innocently that her outfit ought to be the perfect camouflage. Instead of heading toward the well-lit main doors with the others now entering, she slipped past and intended to circle the building to scope out the situation first. With families and largely old couples arriving, she reasoned that the religious observance about to commence must be an innocuous one, at least on the surface, though it struck her as odd to begin in the middle of the night. She supposed, correctly, that the celebration had to do with the same custom that had all these lighted trees and lighted houses and garlands that the pastors had noted now for several weeks. 
There was a back door to the church, which she found locked, and the alley was deserted. But as she came around the other side of the church, there was that man again in the alley, in the middle of it, and advancing. The pastoress diverted her gaze and prepared to pass him as quickly as she could. But as she was about to pass him, he threw out his arm, stopping her. She scowled up at him. What have we here? he wondered. His eyes were bright and smug, his smile insidious. He smelled slightly of scotch. She tried to keep walking. He grabbed her shoulder, and she shook him off, but the pull of his hand spun her to face him. I have not the time for purposeless trouble, the pastoress said. I like the accent there, young lady, but I am a little curious about that collar. Pretty sure even with the Pope they got now, they ain't making priests from the women folk quite yet. But maybe they chased out all the young boys from seminary with their little priest pricks. What do you think, little lady? Are you tired of getting little priest pricks? I have not the time for this, the pastoress said. But he grabbed her and shoved her against the church wall and pressed her cheek into the brickwork with his palm. With his other hand, he gripped her crotch. The pastress growled. The want of you is not rational, she hissed. This womb is merely a simulacrum. I like the way you talk, but shh now, he cooed and tried to find the target with his finger but was failing. She beat on his chest, but he pressed onto her harder. She tried to knee him in the genitals, but he was too close and the hit was deflected on his thigh. He pushed his palm over her mouth. That's right. Shh now, he cooed. She wiggled until her mouth was free again. I have not the time for this tribulation, she growled. Honey, you may not know it, but you got plenty of time for me, he said. It is a blessing to you that I try to fast from the killing of human people, she told him. Her head fell off into the gravel of the alley and stared up at him, unamused. He screamed. What the fuck? The man yelled. The, the, the fuck? He repeated, sneakers sliding in the gravel as he stumbled backward, hands raised in horror. I barely... It just fell off. Her fucking head just fell off. He realized her body still stood there, where he had held her pinned against the wall, and he glanced it up and down in horror. Seconds passed as it refused to fall. This can't be, he muttered. F fuck the pastress raised her left hand and flipped him the bird, a gesture she had learned from more than one quarry. And then he turned and ran. When he had gone, she picked up her head by the hair and then replaced it on her neck as she continued toward the street and back to the front of the church. I hate this planet, she muttered. The pastress straightened her cassock as she passed into the nave of the church. A priest who was not the priest she had fought, but was no less ugly, stood at the front while the congregation passed a flame from candle to candle through the pews. She slipped into the back pew on the right side. She shared her bench with but one other, a middle-aged, emaciated-looking woman who sat at the far end of the pew. This woman did not look at her. Soon, candlelight had spread through the pews, and the congregation resembled an inverted starry sky. When the woman sharing her pew received the flame, she finally looked at the pastoress and looked her up and down and saw that she had no candle to which to pass the flame, but gave her an odd look in addition. The pastoress, of course, had little barometer for what was normal in a Catholic mass, but as the lulling yet firm voice of the priest rolled on for some time, she doubted that hypnotism was generally a part of the celebration of Christ. The parishioners' faces went blank throughout the church, and even though they kept their candles upright, heads began to slump, an affected drowsiness distinctive to hypnosis. The pastors became absolutely sure when the young man who had handled the idol and been possessed of some spirit came out toward the altar, and with him an acolyte brought out a young woman. They wore white robes and white masks like round plates full of eyes. The lulled crowd did not react. The pair stood by the altar, one on each side, with the priest in between them. 
And he raised his hands and broke, and then crushed the holy host, letting the crumbs fall to the floor. And he said in a loud voice, Luci ambulabunt umbre. The pastors kept a low profile in the pew, watching for what would happen. The young couple shed their white robes in front of everyone, displaying the frame of a scrawny young olive-skinned man and the ripe breasts of a pale girl. But they retained the staring round masks as they climbed, together, onto the desecrated altar and commenced intercourse. The candles all around the church, as well as the remaining electric lights, curiously dimmed as if in a brownout, and shadows seemed to dribble up the walls. The distended shapes of heads and faces, here and there made grotesque, or comical even, for outsized noses, gaping mouths, long chins. As she watched, a pitch-black speck appeared in the air, high in the apse over the altar where the lovers endured, a sourceless shadow that seemed to strengthen with the passion of these masked youths, and, slowly, to descend like a star toward the horizon descends in the night sky, pulsing, throbbing. The pastoress detected something near in her peripheral vision and twisted in her pew to find a shadow hovering, not on any surface, but suspended in the air by a stalk attached to the head of the woman with whom she shared the pew. The pastoress scooted back and stood as a single wide eye bloomed in the shadow bud and gazed serenely upon her. Everywhere in the church, Shadows began to dance in tendrils, giving the room a sickly feeling of rocking at sea and perpetually changing light. Now these many writhing shadows contorted themselves toward the pastress as she stumbled into the aisle, raising her hands as if to fight, and everywhere, across the churning sea of deep dark and dull light. Large human eyes bloomed and stared down upon her. Not one of us, boomed a voice. The priest was now in the aisle and spoke to her tendrils of black waving from his hair like a shifting crown. Who is this who is guest to our midnight mass? He smiled at her with blank eyes. Could this be a servant of God with her collar so white? My sincere apologies to the holy host, but this ground is no longer consecrated to him. This is no place for God, but a place for man. Meanwhile, the dark star drew near the womb of the woman on the altar. What is this thing that you do? the pastoress demanded. Whom do you serve in this? We serve ourselves, the priest answered. What you see tonight, foreigner, is nothing but the true condition of the human soul. These living forms freed for a moment from their prisons in flesh, to recall who they truly are. We are the religion of humanity. We need no gods above us. Welcome to our earth. Now, brothers and sisters, see our guest destroyed who defiles the holy ritual with alien eyes. The pastress was surprised to learn the material force of mere shadows as pillars of shadow piled down on her and tore at her and slapped at her face. She grimaced and growled and tore back at them with her hands, but they gave way like water as glaring eyes hovered all around her face. Damn it, she yelled. I do not want to kill you. But the shadows continued to pummel her and toss her around. She tried to scramble for the door, but they caught her again, casting her into the middle of the aisle. She is pretty, she heard a voice boom among the shadows. She belongs to me, another answered. She's just a kid, you swine, said another. She is not real, you idiot said one of the previous. The pastress scrambled through the flurry toward the priest and found herself wholly restrained short of reaching him. As her hand strained for his throat, black vines wrapped her wrists and arms and ankles. Do not underestimate the latent power that hides within humanity, the priest spoke. Who sent you to us? Humanity is a mere speck, she hissed and like lightning red tendrils flew from her fingertips into the priest's mouth, seized on flesh, and with a jerk tore parts of his soft palate, sinuses, and throat out. He fell to his knees, reaching for his face. A palatable hush fell over the congregation of shadows 
as the pastors fell free from their grasp. The priest fell over onto the aisle rug and proceeded to bleed out as a strange electric buzz began to fill the church. The shadows grew restless, tortured even, in their writhing. They began to moan. A loud thump shook the whole church as the air was filled with hisses and screams. Outlines of light were cast on walls with no apparent source. Giant figures like men, but as if made of blocks. The shadows fled from them, hunkering on the floor like pooled motor oil, eyes staring upward helpless as cornered rabbits. The black seed that had so nearly reached the woman's womb now turned and fled as the couple lay staring in blank horror. The pastoress alone stood in the center of the surrounding light beings in the aisle. The buzz was near deafening. The language they spoke was ancient. You are charged with unauthorized access to prison outpost Earth. The voice was sourceless, loud, almost mechanical. Wardens, she uttered. It was not believed you to this day oversee this world Earth. They believed you had gone on. You are taken into custody. Your world of origin will be notified of the transgression. I am sent by the perfect dawn to protect your world from the spread of the white vine. The council is willing to covenant with you for its protection and means no threat to the autonomy of your world. Killing does not constitute correction, the voice answered. The pastor is prepared to answer that she had little choice but to kill the priest, but the voice continued. Suffering does. A beam of light emanated from one of the beings toward her face but ended before striking her like the tip of a massive sword. The heat of the scintillating light began to simmer the substance that comprised the fake flesh of her face. She tried to cover her face with her arm and stumbled back into the side of the pew. You are taken into custody and shall be imprisoned, like these in the prison of flesh, in order to be limited to this world for the duration of your sentence. No! The pastress groaned as the beam of light pressed into her and scorched away the forearm of her cassock, exposing and burning the pale flesh of her arm. More projections of light emerged from the beings all around her, centering down upon her, causing her cassock to catch flame and her flesh to boil. I don't want to be the enemy of you, the pastress struggled to say, as her mouth and throat fought to remain formed in the human manner under this persecution. You are not our enemy, the voice returned. You are our prisoner. The swords of scintillating light pressed down on her, ravaging the last scraps of her clothing and causing the blue, gelatinous material that simulated her flesh to writhe and dance much like the shadows had before, half-boiling, thrashing madly, and in the center of it all, a little blue pill-like object was exposed on the floor. She tried to reform and hold on to human shape, a pleading hand forming and being instantly destroyed, a face for a moment, a nose, an ear. But there was no hope. The persecution of the burning light was more than she could bear, and she flailed, amorphous, her true self lying defenseless in the aisle amid the frothing and licking substance. A hand of light took up the little pill. The flesh continued to dance around it like wobbling jello. The arm's reach bore the pastoris, toward the listless woman on the altar and toward her naked abdomen. The pastors wanted to scream no, but she had no mouth and no hand to fight. She would not suffer to be trapped in the limitations of human flesh and to suffer with humanity through their miserable depravity under the warden's thumbs. In desperation, she only saw one detestable option, which, though apprehensible, she judged superior to imprisonment. With a tendril of blue flesh, she gripped the woman by the hair of her head, and before woman or warden could react, jerked the woman's face into the light of the warden's hand. The scream was immediate as the flesh of her face was seared, and the hand withdrew, dropping the pastoress. With only a moment to act, she reformed as well as she could in such a hurry, and fled through the aisle, naked and unarmed, only able to run and to hope. She passed through the doors, to her own surprise, and fled out onto the street and down an alley, every beam of light making her uncomfortable 
but every streetlight proved to be only a streetlight. She prayed, according to her understanding of the word, to that distant entity she considered to be the same that human beings call God, pleading for wisdom and for guidance. Her mind, or processor one might say, raced with the revelation that the wardens remained overseeing earth. With the direct experience of what she had otherwise known only as an encyclopedia fact, the detestable origins of the human being, and, lastly, the questioning of her order's protocol, which was no more answered than before. As no reply came from heaven, merely silence. Down her simulation of a human face ran the facsimile of a pointless tear, a faked sign, the manufacturing of which might be taken as a mystery for one possessing limited emotions. It was 2 a.m. on another night that the pastors stood over the foot of Naomi's bed in the dark and quiet. Naomi had been aware of her presence for a while, but said nothing until she whispered finally, Well, are you going to do it? The silhouette of the pastress held a gun on her. Naomi sniffled as if trying not to cry. Then, unexpectedly, she began to laugh, and laugh madly crescendoing against the terrible silence of the night. Puggles has taken Santa hostage. I cannot believe Cassidy and the girls are sleeping through this. Well, that is just part of his magic, Matt. But seeing how we are awake and have burned the sacred herb, we can see him. It smells like oregano. I've been waiting 2,000 years for this chance, Taint! Can we come up with a different name? Oh, no, it's a, it's a destroyer of worlds thing. I'm the desolator. He's the taint. I used to throw a couple back with Scourge. You want to see a shit show? Uh, I get housed with that dude. Oh, I'm not sure who you think I am, little piggy. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I don't know who you are, but I know next year you'll be on the fucking list. Oh, God, that was creepy. I'm so torn. <laughs> better than finding a Sasquatch, but I don't want to be naughty. All right, Taint. Are you ready for the tickle of the desolator? Oh, there are the tentacles. Matt, we are truly blessed to be seeing this rare ancient death ritual of eldritch gods. The tickle fight. Puggles, what if I told you about having your tentacles out in the house? Bad pig! Somebody get the squirt bottle. No, no, not that one. The one with the Tabasco sauce added in it. Oh, tentacles! Oh, yes! What the heck are you doing here? Oh, I, I was hiding beneath your sofa. What? I, I've been camping in your uh, oh, juniper bushes. Uh, I, for about three months, I thought you knew. Oh, God, <laughs> Oh, that shit gets to the sinuses. All right, Taint of Nick, here it comes. Oh, 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 I think that watching is nearly better, but, uh, oh, oh, tickle, tickle me! 
Wow. I haven't seen a Christmas special like that since I was a child. If you squint, the tentacles kind of look like candy cane. Have you had enough? Please stop, please stop. Oh, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm just a jolly old elf from the North Pole here to spread kindness and Christmas cheer. I'm going in. God, that's disgusting. What? What the fuck is that? Something's moving around outside the windows. And that window. Shit, all the windows. Hmm. They appear to be some kind of ungulate with antlers. Oh, calling your Gorthox will do no good, Tate of Nick. Matt, your basement door is bulging on its hinges. Oh, God. And what is that sound in your bathroom? It sounds like someone is cleaning your bathroom. At midnight. With their tongue. Is your mother-in-law visiting? Brett, something like a giant grub with legs and arms and weird human teeth is behind you. Interesting. It appears to be manifesting, not quite in this world. Oh Lord Marduk, it's the Time Eater. If that's one of your characters, then what is in my basement and what is in the bathroom? It's the filth liquor and oh God, the creep. Oh no, one creep is enough, three is way too many. Three? Never mind, what is happening? I think that whatever is happening between those two is drawing out our creations from the dimensions in which they actually exist. Actually exist? Oh, God. Yes, child. Matt, do you realize all of the horrible, awful abominations we've created? Did I just hear the voice of God? Brett, there is no way God can have anything to do with what's happening here. Oh, man. Plants are growing up out of the ground. There's an egg under the Christmas tree the size of a watermelon. Oh, hey, it's the pastoris. How are you doing? When did the space horse show up? Do you like that, Tate? Ah, <laughs> or should I say, oh, ho, 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 trademark, you plagiarizing cuck. Lawsuit. Oh, would you look at that? The mermaid is manifesting in your kitchen sink. Oh, hey, I think she needs a hand. Oh, God, Brett, hands. Hands everywhere. They're building nests in the tree. Oh, Hey! Oh, get away from there, Brett! Oh, God, they look just like your hands, and they're trying to... Hey! Oh, stop it! Stop touching me there, Brett! Why would you create something like that? Oh, you know. Thought they'd come in handy. I thought I drew much more on top of her. She's practically spilling out of her. Gratuitous display detected. Must be platform. With guns. That's it. Eggnog? Eggnog, anybody. Anybody want eggnog? Lots of rum? Heavy on the rum? Hey, I'll have some eggnog! Janet? It's Janice. I thought it was Janine. Ah, hell, maybe it is. I don't even know anymore. Ho, 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 I've got you now, you self-aggrandizing bastard. You finally got a world to worship you. Matt, I think I know what is happening. If Santa really is the taint of Nicorsis, he is known for spreading false emotions to corrupt societies. He often uses gluttony and excess as a means to lull civilizations into a collective stupor, and then appears as a false idol and becomes godlike. Oh, 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 that's right, you cry, Uncle! Oh, Uncle! Oh, I'm not trying to lull anybody into anything! Oh, I just wanted milk and cookies! Brett, are you saying the true meaning of Christmas isn't the taint? Whatmas? You mean taintmas? Oh, blood of the ever-loving gods, Matt. The dissolving barriers of reality have me confused. I have this vague memory of taintmas being about something else. Oh, ho, ho, ho! I love the way you shake my presents, you ho, 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 whore! Oh, shut it, taint! I know you like to watch me while I'm sleeping. 
Thank God the meaning of whatever miss wasn't this. Was it? No. This war. Or orgy? Hard to tell which. Wargy, maybe? Of mythical figures and, uh, creepy porn guy. Is breaking the fabric of reality. Our fictional universe is breaking into our skit universe, which has obfuscated the real universe. Skit universe? Real universe? This is a skit? Oh, mother! According to the ancient texts, the only way out of this Christmas nightmare dimension is to click our red heels together and say, There's no place like home for the holidays. There's no place place like like home home for the the holidays. holidays. There's There's no no place place like like home home for for the the holidays. holidays. It worked. We're back in actual reality. Or is it? Mm. Now that we're back in reality, we'd like to step back and say Merry Christmas to our listeners. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season with friends and family and know that we've had a great year because of you. Thanks for sticking with us and showing this podcast your love. Oh, yeah. Oh, show them that love. Hey, why did everything look so effing real all of a sudden? Puggles? He's real. We brought him back with us. Oh, shit. What? Have you guys always been so fugly? Well, my wife did want a teacup piggy for Christmas. Oh, ho, 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 Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warbox Media. Oh, ho, ho, today's story was Pastorous Midnight Mass by Brett Norwood. Music by Brett Norwood. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Good day, Monsterbaters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, please pray to Taint Necorsis for our sins against Christmas. And second, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Every subscription and review helps this show grow and keep going. Absolutely. I would like to take a second and recommend a couple of podcasts that I enjoy. If you like allegedly true horror stories, then check out my cousin Dan's podcast, Scared to Death. Every Tuesday, just before midnight, they release an episode where Dan reads true horror stories to his amazing wife, Lynn, to try to scare her to death. Dan also hosts the Time Suck podcast, which needs no introduction as it's one of the bigger comedy podcasts. Uh, Dan's been a big inspiration in my quest to be a writer, and he has been great about answering podcast questions and giving advice. So if you want to join the ranks of creeps and peepers, check out the STD podcast. I mean, the Scared to Death podcast. I also recommend The Other Stories for people who like weird fiction anthologies. The Other Stories is great because it tackles a common theme for a time, but the individual stories are so short that if you don't have time to plug into a long story, they are great for a small hit of weirdness and horror in the middle of a work shift. Those are both great recommendations, Matt. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening. Until the shark angels come, Godspeed, strange reindeer. And do tell us future... Wait, what is... God damn it. Sorry. I know that was excessive, but like I hit the wrong key and a bunch of shit happened that I didn't intend to happen. And it was extremely frustrating. I thought it was just because of the little mess up. I was like, oh, it's going to be a fun night. No, that was, that was just the start of the fuck up. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> ah, Matt, the swine is loose. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
can't help it. That was early. <laughs> that was a good one, though. I could have rolled with it, but I didn't. <laughs> this can't be, he muttered. F- fuck! Damn it, Spanglepuss, what are you doing in this story? Take off me! <laughs> I hope the neighbors heard that. <laughs> they hear it every night. Uh, that was entirely unexpected to me, too, if you're wondering. <laughs> oh! 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 <laughs> It says frantic. I don't know why I'm like frantic, but. God damn it. It's so, so, so hard long. not to laugh. I'm just seeing how long I can make the do this. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. I just wanted milk and cookies. Well, you already got some on your beard, Santa. <laughs>